the application here comes in and you say, I've got all of this content and I've, I've obviously hit on a vein of gold here, but if I were to go and talk to my clients, what is the job that my clients are actually hiring me to do? And there's a, what is the progress that my clients are actually hiring me to help them make in their life? Because the problem that I come across when I talk with coaches and consultants about this stuff is that when I ask them that question, they almost short circuit and they start telling me what their offer stack is mm. um, <laughs> because they're, they're disconnecting. Today's interview is with Zach Stuckey. He is an expert in the customer-centric operations area, and he helps seven-figure businesses, coaches, and consultants to improve their operations. And now you may be thinking, oh, my operations are fine. However, I am telling you, you want to listen to this interview and this episode because Zach really breaks down what operations truly is in a business, how understanding the progress of a customer in your business, in your coaching business, in your consulting business, how understanding the reality of that can maximize and drastically change the profitability and the success of your business. So listen in, take notes, share this episode. Zach breaks down the operational side of your business and how to grow it. You do not want to miss this. Let's get into this episode. Let's do it. I am going to say welcome. Thank you, Zach, for being here on the Coach Up Podcast. I am here with Zach. Zach, so I always forget to do this. Say your last name for me. Stooky. Think beef stew and a key in a door. Beef stew and a key, and a key in a stooky. Works, though. It does. It absolutely does. <laughs> Guys, this should already tell you this is going to be a good interview. Okay. <laughs> Zach. Stuckey. I'm with Zach Stuckey, who is going to be talking about the systematic portion and his business around that, around building and scaling six and seven figure businesses. So coaches, when I tell you, you want to like get notes, put this on repeat, stop what you're doing. I know most of y'all listen where you're cleaning, driving, this not want to do that or do and then come back. Because <laughs> Zach, I'm super excited about what you're going to talk about because systems are so important and we get into a business or we build a business and we think, oh, it's about the people. It is about the people. Oh, it's about the sales. It is about the sales. You don't have that if you don't, you know, if you don't have sales, you don't have a business. It's about the marketing. Granted, nobody knows about you. You can't do any of that. But your business will fail and it will not grow successfully and sustainably if there are not systems, one, in place to help with that and the two to scale it. So I'm going to oh, you, you got me so excited, Kanisha, because here's here's something that I we're this is going to sparks are going to fly on this thing. OK, because because here's the thing that I tell people all the time. OK, so if your sales and marketing, if you boil it down, lowest common denominator, right? Sales and marketing is really just how you communicate your unique value proposition to your customer. Right. Mm -hmm. Operations is how you deliver on that. Those things are symbiotic. You cannot have a business one without the other. Yeah, that's good. And most of us don't think about that until we're deep, deep in and, and things are falling apart. So 
Zach, tell people what you do, your business, who you are. And then okay. Um, so I'm Zach Stuckey, uh, and I'm a customer-centric operations expert. What that means is that I work with um, coaches and consultants and CEOs of six and seven figure organizations that are having profitability, quality, or scaling issues to fix that through fixing their operations. And I know that that's a lot of jargon that I just threw at you. So simply put, what I do is I help you understand the real reason why your customer is hiring you and then build your operations around that. Okay. Give us an example. Okay. Um, there are a lot, and I'm trying to think of how long of an example I want to give. Okay, um, fair enough. I'll, I'll give you a very brief one. Um, so there's this company called Casper Mattress, right? And over the past few years, there's been this craze of businesses starting memory foam mattress companies, and it's all online, right? So you buy the mattress online, you order it, it's delivered to your house. It's in this, like, how did they fit that mattress into a box that size mm -hmm. kind of box? Um, you open it in your bedroom and it, it's been vacuum packed. So it just kind of rolls out and blows up. And then you have a 90 day trial period uh, to try it. And if you don't like it, then the company, you call them, they'll give you a full refund. And then they will, on their own expense, come and pick up that mattress and take it away. Hmm. Now, the reason why they did that is because they got one fundamental thing about people buying mattresses. People buy mattresses because they want a good night's sleep. Correct. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> why we do that. <laughs> and the biggest barriers to them buying a mattress aren't, you know, does the store look pretty? Is the salesperson real personable? The biggest barrier to buying a mattress is, well, there's a million different other alternatives that I can try before I have to go and lay on this mattress. Like I'm pretending I'm in my own coffin while the mm -hmm. salesperson stares at me awkwardly, you know? So, right. <laughs> so they're, they're creating this experience. Well, Casper was the first mattress company to get that. And to build a whole customer journey experience and to center their operations around that. Uh, they started in, I think, 2012 or 2014. I always forget which date. Um, but by 2020, they were valued at over a billion dollars. They had over 400 million in gross revenue. They had helped over 100 million people. And they were in the top 10 of Mac, Mac, blah, blah, mattress manufacturers in the United States. That's a really short window. That's yes. six to eight years. That's right. really short. In um, an established industry. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so these organization, right? Casper bred a whole bunch of imitators like uh, Purple, kind of. Um, you have Tuft and Needle, uh, and a couple of others that I can't think of off the top of my head, but it spawned all of these copycats because it understood that. And the traditional mattress uh, company, they've actually changed some of their operations to model what Casper is doing as well. Really? Because of that. Yes. 
So the trial period is one that's being more widely adopted. The we'll come and pick it up for free is being more widely adopted um, mm. because these mattress companies are saying, huh, they're onto something here. <laughs> right. But it was because they put their operations changed to address what the true barrier was in complement to what the value they offer, which really they identify what the barrier was, which then helped them to create what the solution was that would really solve that issue, which helped them to grow. Exactly. What they did is they identified the progress that their customers were trying to make. Mm -hmm. And then they identified what are these major barriers that are stopping them from making that progress. And then they said, now, what can we do on our end to remove those barriers or make those barriers so small that the customer can effortlessly step over them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when they did that, that, well, you can see the results. Right. But there's a lot of, okay, Zach, there's a lot of steps that came in solving that, right? Like you talked about, like, mm, how many people were doing mattresses in a box? That's a process. <laughs> That's part of operations. And just doing that in and of itself is a whole situation. Now we got to ship it, whole situation. Mm -hmm. Now we got to pick it up for free, whole situation. Right. And even I would imagine the operations of, of creating that product because the mattresses, I actually have a mattress that came in a box. So I'm aware of this. Oh, I don't know go. who I got it from. Um, <laughs> it, sleeps, it sleeps beautifully, thank God. But, you know, that that wasn't the norm years ago. Right. So there's a ton of operations. So where do people even start? Like, I know this is your expertise. Where do people even start with starting to build that? Yeah. Timeline that out. So this is, I'm, I'm going to give you an answer. This is going to sound a little flippant, but it's actually incredibly profound. So um, I spent two years in Taiwan, uh, gained a really deep love and appreciation for the Chinese culture. Uh, Confucius has a saying, he says, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Thanks. Yes. Um, in America, we say something closer to uh, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Yes. <laughs> right. So it's really easy. And and I've been guilty of this in my own business. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've, I've had to do a lot of work just being totally transparent. I've had to do a lot of work around this myself of saying, oh, well, why am I not at the same place that this person who's 10 years ahead of me is? Right. Why? Why am I not there? I want to be there. Why am I not there now? And that comparison. um really was a thief of joy for me until I started to realize, well, duh, it's because they've had 10 years of a head start. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm able to learn from them. And as these problems come up, instead of constantly worrying about the problems before they even appear, right? I worry about what that customer job is. What is the progress that that customer is trying to make? Um, and, and here's why, because all of those things that they were innovating, right? They were doing that one step at a time. I guarantee that if you looked back in Casper's history, what you'd find is that they started in one metropolitan area mm -hmm. and they dominated the market in that metropolitan area. They did not mail out mattresses. Rather, they delivered mattresses out of the back of a truck or something like that. And then they'd say, yeah, we'll pick it up if you don't like it after 90 days, full refund, right? And then 
they said, okay, what's the next step to our growth? Well, now we need to go to another metropolitan area, which means that we have to learn how to do the logistics of the of the vacuum packing this memory foam mattress and figuring how, out how to ship this mattress and, and all of that stuff. So it, was, it, it wasn't this digital process where it, it was just an instant trans, transition. It was more of an analog process where it was just this slow change over time. Um, but the analog processes are often the most powerful. Gotcha. When you say analog, can you break that down? Yeah. So um, if you think about a clock, right, there are two types of clocks. There is a digital clock where it's like the second changes, the second changes, the second changes, the second changes. If you look at an analog clock, which is a non-digital clock, it's a fluid motion or there's a little bit of a tick, right? But it's always moving. Mm. It's constantly in motion. Mm. And that is where your operations needs to be. Your operations is not a, I'm done. It, 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 mm. The instant mm -hmm. that you think your operations are done, you're setting your business up to die. Right. Because there is, there is some hungry college-aged kid who's sitting in some garage somewhere who is out-innovating you. Mm -hmm. so, so the better solution is to say, uh, I, I like the Pixar approach, which is to say, I know my operations suck, but how can I make them suck less? Um, and, <laughs> okay. and to do that, I'm, I'm telling you, that's how they come up with their stories is they say, we know this story sucks. How can we make it suck less? Um, but, but you, uh, you're constantly innovating. You're constantly saying, okay, how, what is the barrier to our customer making progress right now? And how can we innovate, um, our, operations to deliver on that. See, a lot of people think that innovation when, and, and I guess I, I should take the conversation here a minute, if you don't mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there are a couple of different types of innovation. You have um, the innovation that most people are familiar with, which is disruptive innovation, which most people think is like, um, you know, flying cars, this, this innovation that's going to come and just completely change your way of life. Um, that is largely not disruptive innovation as we define it in an operations context. Um, disruptive innovation is when you have a new technology that can be implemented in a tool form, right? Um, or, or a system or process. And then you start at the bottom of the market and you work your way up in terms of quality. So you're, you're, I'll, I'll give you an example. There's a company that that's called New Core Steel, and they pioneered these these mini mills that were just tiny little steel mills that they could do something that that nobody else could do, which is we could take scrap steel and recycle it into what could then be used in other places. Scrap iron, scrap steel, turn it into something that was usable. And when they started, they could only do what was the the junk of of steel, which was rebar. Um, you know, rebar doesn't have to be high quality. It doesn't have to be um, super pretty. And so they were able to do this rebar. So they had this technology, they came into the bottom of the market, which was this rebar, and then they slowly did what's called sustaining innovation. So sustaining innovation is we have the customer job. We understand what the customer is hiring us to do, what that progress is. Now we have to figure out how to do it better than we did it yesterday. 
So we have the minimum viable product. We have our basic service in mind and, and we're getting really good feedback on it. Okay, how do we do that better than we did it yesterday? How do we help our customer get the same progress or better progress or faster progress than we did yesterday? Um, and so you move up market with these sustaining innovations. And then finally, you have what's called an efficiency innovation. And an efficiency innovation is how do I do what I've been doing, but faster, cheaper, and um, for higher quality, right? Mm -hmm. And so most of the innovation that we think about is either that efficiency innovation where it's the greedy capitalist. Well, it's the greedy capitalist and he's wringing his hands and thinking, how can I wring out every last cent from this factory? And then you've got the disruptive innovation, which everybody is thinking about Thomas Edison and, and Elon Musk, right? Um, but the middle part is where the magic happens. And that's that sustaining innovation. And if you do it right, then as you're innovating, this sustaining innovation is all about gaining market share in an existing market. You're not creating a market and you're not harvesting your market share. You're growing, you're actively growing your market share. So if you do it right, not only can you grow your market share, but you can grow your profitability as you do it. And that is what customer-centric operations is all about. Okay. So... Anybody listening can tell, you know what you're talking about, but also <laughs> maybe like, that sounds brilliant. I don't know how to apply that to my actual business. So we've talked like, like we've talked about the steel company, we've talked about the mattress. If you were, you work with coaches and consultants. So if you're looking at somebody mm -hmm. who has a coaching business that is, um, you know, it's, it's pretty fleshed out. So they have courses, they have um, a community, they have one-on-one, -on -one, they have group sessions, they've got a plethora. They may have an arm to their business of speaking and podcasts. They, they've got a solid, pretty varied foundation. But to what you're talking about with sustaining, sustaining innovation, thank you for explaining that. Like it's how do you build the market share? How do you grow your market share? How would somebody apply that? What would how would you say? Okay, let's look at this and apply what you're talking about to that to their business. If you work from home, if you are a remote worker, if you're a business worker and you work from home and you sometimes just wish you could get together with other people who work from home, you just wish you could get out of your house and just be around other people who are working as dedicated and focused as you are but you get to be in the space of other fellow remote workers, you want to join the Coffee Shop Coworkers Facebook group. We are connecting people all over the country in coffee shops where you can go for free, meet other like-minded people to hang out, to work together, whether it's for two hours, whether it's for four hours, whether it's all day, but you get to connect with people like you who are working from home, who want to be around other people and still get work done and just create a new network. So come check out the Facebook page, join the Facebook page, Coffee Shop Coworkers today so we can start connecting you to fellow future coworkers. Yeah, you know, this is, that's a great question, Kanisha, because this is a really big problem in this industry. Uh, a lot of these coaches 
they'll they'll get really good and they'll get you know high six figures you know bridge the bridge the gap and reach that seven figure point maybe get to about two million mm-hmm. um and if they're not careful they start implementing the wrong type of innovation too soon mm-hmm. so oftentimes what happens is they think well now is the time that i need to go out and i need to do this disruptive innovation so how do I build this new market? Because obviously I'm the top of my game. I'm the biggest person in this market ever, right? Right. And so what they're doing is they're actually tripping over dollars to make dimes in a sense. Mm. So okay. the application here comes in and you say, I've got all of this content and I've I've obviously hit on a vein of gold here. But if I were to go and talk to my clients, what is the job that my clients are actually hiring me to do? And there's a, what is the progress that my clients are actually hiring me to help them make in their life? Because the problem that I come across when I talk with coaches and consultants about this stuff is that when I ask them that question, they almost short circuit and they start telling me what their offer stack is. Mm. Um, because they're, they're disconnecting. And and the analogy that I use for that is it's like, imagine that you've been hired to work in a factory and it's day one and you go into the factory and this factory is super secretive. You don't really know what it makes, but you know that they pay pretty good. And so you're excited to work there. Right. And you say, great. What are we making today? And the manager says to you, well, let me tell you how to drill a hole into this wood and into that wood and to connect them with glue and a dowel. Did that actually answer your question? No, Did not. you no. could be making an ottoman. You could be making a chair. You could be making a bench. You could be making a table. You could right. be making stools. You could be making a million things. Right. And so th- at that point, you have no way to to actually offer recommendations about how to improve what you're doing. Um, and so the trick is at that point, you have to come up, if you want to add value, you have to say, well, if all I'm doing is gluing these two pieces of wood together with a dowel in between, how can I use less glue? Or you know, how can I, what is the right depth, just that perfect depth to drill that that hole so that the dowel sticks with the just the minutest amount of glue, you know, and you really get really intricate about stuff that really doesn't matter in the long run because the customer just wants a place to sit. Mm. Right. Right. And so when you, I guess that the, the key for me is saying, okay, let's go back to the drawing board and let's ask the customer a very crucial question, which is, I want you to go back to the day that you decided that this was a big enough problem that you needed to solve it, that you were actually going to take action on this problem. And I'm not talking about the day you decided to hire me. Mm-hmm. I just want to know about the day when this pain became so acute for you that you decided to solve it. Because there, there are people who will walk two or three miles with a pebble in their shoe before that that pebble finally gets painful enough that they decide to take it off. So what was the point that you decided, okay, I got to get this pebble out of my shoe. Think of how much more powerful the answer to that question is than just, 
So tell me, if I could improve my services and and get you to re-up for another years-long contract, um, what do I need to do? And see, this is the problem that a lot of companies have. McDonald's does the same thing when it comes to market research. They take people and they put them in a room, in a conference room, and they say, what do we need to do to get you to buy more milkshakes or hamburgers or French fries or whatever? And one person might say, okay, I want it chocolatier. Or another person might say, I want more, more chunks in it. And another person might say, well, you know, I really think those French fries need more salt. And so they'll get some form of a consensus and McDonald's will go and they'll make those changes in their operations and it will do not a darn thing. <laughs> they will, it won't, it won't improve their operate, uh, their, their bottom line at all. Okay. It won't improve their sales at all because <laughs> the the job hasn't been impacted at all and so when you're actually able to say well you know why did you decide to actually you know what was the progress that you were trying to make in your life and then why did you think that what i was doing could help you make that progress then you can start to understand how to make those sustaining innovations mm -hmm. and that's where the magic happens like we talked about because those sustaining innovations, you now have a framework to know what should and shouldn't I innovate out. And I'll give you an example of this because a lot of businesses, if they're not aware of what that job is, they can accidentally innovate out the thing that the customer was hiring them to do in the first place. So, that would be bad. Right. Well, we'll look at this, okay? New Coke. New Coke back in the 80s, right? Coke says, we're going to make a new drink. It's going to be Coke, but it's going to be new and it's going to be sweeter and people are going to love it. And what happened is people hated it. And okay. it was a, it was a massive loss for Coca-Cola okay. and they had to introduce Coke classic, right? Because Coke didn't understand the job that people were hiring Coke to do. Coke wasn't being hired to be a thirst quencher. It wasn't hired to be some kind of drink that that you you would drink when you wanted some sweet pick-me-up, right? It's not a dessert. Um, people were hiring Coke because the Coke that they were drinking tasted the same as the Coke that their great-grandpa drank mm. Mm -hmm. on the day, on the last day that they saw their great-grandpa. That's yes, yeah. Yeah. And so it's this nostalgia, it's this connection. And you have these people now, think about it. You have people who are Pepsi families or Coke families and the twain shall not meet. They right. shall not intermarry. <laughs> it's Capulets and Montagues, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's, if you look, it's interesting because if you look at Coke's advertising now and their marketing now, they're very careful. I'm very clear about Coke. Every mm. single Coke commercial that you see, it's always some family getting together. Mm. It's some, some hit of nostalgia. A movie isn't a movie unless you have a Coke. Um, you know, we're mm. at a family barbecue and everybody's sharing a Coke. Let's pass mm -hmm. around bottles of Mexican Coke that's got that pure cane sugar in it. You know, they're, they're dinging on the glass and everybody remembers when they were a kid and they were making music on the Coke glass or when silly old grandpa, he's doing this or grandma, you know, she had her Coke with lemon. Mm -hmm. It's always tying back to that job that the customer is hiring Coke to do. And so 
that is why understanding that job is so important, especially in the context of developing these sustaining innovations, um, because you're able to innovate in just the right ways to be able to grow your profitability and your market share because you're doing, remember, you're you're doing that progress. You're helping that customer make progress, but you're doing it better, faster, um, than you than you have before. And in so doing, you're effectively growing your market share. Mm-hmm. So these these coaches and these consultants, they come out and they say, Well, I'm a two, uh, I'm a two million dollar company, or I'm a I'm a uh $750,000 company. I I know why the customer is hiring me. But the truth is the customer likely is hiring you for a reason that you don't know. And so when you get to that point, you need to start asking those questions again. You're laying the foundation for the next $6 million in growth that you're going to achieve if you're smart about it. But if you are unwilling to um, ask that question and get curious about it because of the discomfort that it brings, then you won't be able to reach that point. And so in terms of application, right, that's where once you understand the customer job, then you can start doing things like a profitability analysis. And and those two steps can be kind of interchangeable, but you can do a profitability analysis and you can start looking at, okay, where's my bottleneck in my system? Um, And how can I manage my bottleneck so that I'm getting more output and productivity, but it's the right kind of output and productivity. You can ask, um, you know, where is the waste in my system? Where is the variability coming from? And how do I need to restructure what I'm doing so that that waste and variability isn't, isn't impacting it as much because waste and variability is a profitability killer. Um, You're looking at what is all of this fluff that we've developed over the last couple of years that we can cut so that we can zero right in with surgical precision on helping that customer actually make the progress that they need to make in a way that they will be a raving fan for the rest of their life. Okay. So I'm going to dig a little deeper here because you said a lot that has just got my wheels turning so I just want to see if I can like give an example. Real, real quick, I want to say yeah. I'm glad that you added that it's got your wheels turning because I did say a lot <laughs> and I'm glad that it wasn't just hot air. <laughs> no, but I mean, oh my goodness. And um, like 15 second story, my mentor just this week in our conversation was talking about listening and he, he's, he was talking about, you just listen to what somebody says without forming a thought because then you will actually hear what they're saying. And I was like, but when they're speaking, like I'm processing and I'm thinking about, so I didn't do a good job of that while you were talking, because that's why my wheels are returning, even I though it generates questions. I think you did a beautiful questions. job. I think you did a beautiful job. And, you know, you married that, that wisdom from your mentor with, uh, you know, processing and being able to ask those questions of your clients and bam, you got the, so. all the recipe you need to start understanding customer progress. I hope so. Well, we're going to see. All right. So this is the example (laughs) I'm going to give. So as we're talking about, as you were talking about the processing, I was thinking if I'm, if I'm a coach and I want to, like I'm at that 750 mark, but let's say I've been doing that through courses and one-on-ones. 
part of my sustainability would be, and this is very basic, it would be moving to a group dynamic because I can I can use that with my current um, customers. I can also offer it with growing market share um, to new clients, but mm -hmm. it also may answer the job that my clients hired me to do because part of what I may not be addressing in my one-on-one or I may not be addressing in my one-on-one is accountability. Like we think coaching is accountability period. And it is, but if you're coaching, um, and I didn't say what kind of coaching, but sometimes you're working through problems, um, in coaching and helping people to solve problems that then they need to go and take action on. But if you're, if you're focused on the so problem solving, but there's still accountability, that's a different thing. Then yeah. my group growing, moving it into a group where it's not just the coach accountability, but also my now you've got four other people that you meet with on a weekly basis or monthly basis that you're holding them accountable. They're holding you accountable. So now I'm, I'm addressing another part of what my clients actually hired me to do by adding that portion to my coach. Am I anywhere on track? So I think that you are and you aren't. And here's Okay, why. great. Teach me. Teach us. Come on. <laughs> I want to make sure okay. I understand. Yeah. So, um, and, and I'll be honest, I've, I've been, I've spoken with some of the fathers of jobs theory about this stuff and they, they, cause I was in the same place and they whacked me up the side of the head and say, you're not going deep enough. Okay. Because here's right. what's happening. Um, there is a huge call out throughout the, the coaching world, Right where when clients leave the the community that you've built your tribe your community your uh stable of stallions whatever you want to call it um you know when they leave they say oftentimes three things right they say well if you made it more accountable um if there was um more community and more structure then we'll we'll talk right and so when you're asking, when they're asking that question or when you're having that exit interview and you're asking that question and they say that thing, then a lot of times people will just say, oh, well, thank you very much for, for telling me that. And do you know what I hear? I hear, I want that milkshake chocolatier. I want it chunkier and I want more chewy bits in it. Okay. Right. So, so what you need to do is you need to go deeper and you need okay. to ask so what does community mean to you? And, mm. and what would having a community actually do for you? What would that actually solve for you and your business? You know, there is value. Don't get me wrong. There's definitely value in having a community of peers that you can go and talk to. But this is what often happens, okay? So um, there are three types of businesses, right? And And I, I normally do this only in a sales context, but I, I think that it applies here. So if you if we were to lay out a timeline um, and and um, you know, let's say that today is the timeline and you're you're gonna magnify that out over 12 to 18 months, let's say, you can be in one of three places as a business. You can be a thriving business, and we're gonna say that's a highly profitable business um, that's gaining market share, okay? 
um, we'll call that scaling. Then you can be in a just getting by kind of a situation, which is, you know, you're, you're not doing great. You're not doing awful. You're just, you're getting by. Um, and then you can be in the, um, honestly failing business, mm -hmm. right? So what's the difference between these three types of businesses? Well, the failing business, they're trying to figure it out all on their own. They're DIYing and they're saying, well, I can do this all on my own. And what ends up happening is they're compounding ignorance and indecisiveness. The mm. people in the just getting by, they are, you know, they're, they know that there's a problem because while it seems like you could draw it as a straight line because they're not doing great, they're not doing awful. They're actually on this roller coaster where they're going to go out, they're going to muscle up some work, and then they're not going to be really clear about what they did that created that growth in the first place. And so they're not going to be able to sustain it. And then down they go. And then it's just this roller coaster that goes up and down and they know that they need to get off this roller coaster. So what do they do? They go and talk to their friends and family because that advice is free. And you get what you pay for. Mm -hmm. Or didn't. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and then you have the thriving business, that highly profitable scaling business. Well, that business is created by decisiveness and directness and, um, you know, really being willing to embrace that you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you're willing to go out and you're willing to pay people to help you. And when you do that, then all of a sudden you're finding that you're compounding wisdom and experience and you're growing head and shoulders above everybody else. So, you know, it's kind of a long example, but the, the takeaway here is that there's something to be said for having this community, right? But if the community is one of those just getting by communities of people who, because let's be honest, those friends and family that you're talking to, even if they're in a peer mastermind group and their business is the same size as yours, there is very little, um, very little that is the same between a print shop and a paddle sports um, business. You know, mm -hmm. the, those two businesses are not the same. And so what worked for the print shop is not going to work for the uh, paddle, sports paddle sports business. I'll give you an example, Kanisha. Um, you know, this is my favorite shirt. Mm -hmm. I love this shirt. Now, I'm a 6'2", 200 plus pound man. Mm -hmm. I think that you should wear this shirt. I think that this shirt is going to look wonderful on you. Mm, I don't, Zach, I don't think so. I appreciate exactly. the offer. Exactly. It's kind <laughs> of ridiculous, so. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's what we're doing when we're when we're getting into these into these communities mm -hmm. um that aren't compounding that wisdom. Mm. And, and so it's it's when they say I want more community, you need to dig deeper and you need to say what does community mean and what is the problem that it's solving for you. When they say I want more structure, say Okay, what what do you mean by structure? What would that problem solve for you? I'm I'm a little confused here because, you know, and you're not to argue with them. If you start debating with them, you are way off track. But you're to say, I'm a little confused because, you know, we've tried putting this this structure in place and it seemed to work pretty well, but you know, this is how I would define structure. So help me understand, how would you define it? Why would that be valuable to you? 
And the same thing with accountability. Help me understand, what do you mean by accountability? Why would accountability be valuable to you? Um, and, and that's where the value really comes in. And to be quite honest, these conversations are nigh impossible to get done in under an hour. Um, oh, okay. Because yeah. those are surface questions and then you're digging deeper. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Right. Because, you know, when you're, when you're going in and you're trying to get this done in half an hour, there's no way that you can unpack all of this stuff. So especially with these businesses that you're working with, I know that they're, that they're, you know, they're busy. The people that you're coaching or consulting, they're busy. I get it. But if you really want to take advantage of those sustaining innovations, you've got to, to get that, that information out. You've got to understand it because that gives you the chance to, to actually innovate these things in a way that's going to provide um, actual value to the customer. Um, and it's not just going to be, okay, well, um, they said we need more structure and accountability. So we're going to do this instead of that. Right. So, you know, when you're talking about um, going out and saying, well, in order to scale, we need to come in and we need to start doing group coaching instead of one-on-one -on -one coaching, because that's a more scalable structure. I actually say, I, I kind of disagree um, mm -hmm. in that it depends, right? It depends on the progress that your customer is trying to make. But a lot of times when you do something like that, you're actually creating a situation where your business cannot scale um, because again, you're creating a structure in your business that is wholly reliant on you in order to grow. Um, your customers aren't paying for you. They're paying to make progress. If you understand what that progress is, then it doesn't matter who is running that call because the customer is still going to make progress. And that is how you scale these coaching and consulting organizations. Now you just hurt some people's feelings, Zach. And I'm going to tell <laughs> well, you why. I Okay, please tell me. Because um, in circles that I have heard people say, people are not buying what you what the product is. They're buying you. And in this case, coaching or consulting, they're not buying the service. They're buying you because there's a hundred or a thousand business coaches. There's a thousand leadership coaches. So they're really buying you. But you just said, customers are paying for you. They're paying for the progress that yeah. they can get. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's so um, I can understand where that first perspective is coming from. Because let's be honest, coaching and consulting is just like marketing, which is another vertical that I work with, which is a highly competitive marketplace. So it's really hard to differentiate yourself when, well, I do digital marketing. I do digital marketing too. What do you do that's so different than what I do? Well, I use Google Analytics better than you. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Right? Like, <laughs> come right. on. So, so you, you, it's easy to say, well, what they're really buying is you. Mm -hmm. Well, no, to a certain extent, you have been able to communicate to them in a way that's resonated with them that I can help you make progress better than Bob down the street. Mm -hmm. That's what you've communicated to them. They've got this vision in their mind of where they want to go. They've got a struggling moment that's right in front of them. 
and they're looking for a bridge that's going to get them there. And you've been able to sell them the bridge better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. That's what that's that's what it really boils down to. Um, you know, and and listen, I know that that won't sell a lot of papers. Putting that on the front line, putting that on the uh, the front page isn't going to sell a lot of papers. Right. But the fact of the matter is that you know Simon Sinek, he says people don't buy what you do; they buy why you do it. Um, and I think he's he's um, not quite right on that. And here's why. Mm-hmm. Think back to when you bought a toaster, Kanisha. Mm-hmm. When you bought a toaster, were you joining some perfect toast movement? I was not. No. Okay. And when you bought that toaster, were you buying that toaster because, man, it looked flashy? No, didn't. Mm-hmm. Why were you buying the toaster? I needed it to make toast. Right. <laughs> Just make toast well in the price range that I want to pay. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so I say that Simon Sinek is, isn't quite right on that because, um, you know, there is that functional aspect to the client's job, to your customer's job. There is that functional aspect, but there is also a social and an emotional aspect to that job as well. And I'll, I'll give you three examples of this. So the toaster is a great example of a functional job right? That people are hiring something to do. Um, Now, another example is actually food storage. uh, And this goes along with the emotional side. Because if you think about food storage, think about this, okay? The United States, even today, despite our political differences and, and, you know, some people say that the United States is more divided now than it was before the American Civil War. I I got it. I watch politics like some guys watch sports. I got it. But- Think about this. Crime rates in the United States are the lowest that they have ever been in 50 years. Um, They're on a little bit of a surge right now, but by and large, they're the lowest they have ever been in 50 years. My children are less likely to die in a mass school shooting than I was. Hmm. Okay. I was more likely to be killed in a school shooting than my kids are. Okay. Right? So, but... Whenever a Republican gets into office, Democrat celebrities go out and say, go buy food storage. The world's going to end. The Republican's going to start World War III. And when the Democrats get into office, Republican celebrities go out and say, go buy food storage. Democrats going to start World War III. The economy's going to collapse. The world's going to end. Okay. And so people go out and they buy food storage because there's an emotional job that needs to get done, which is... I'm afraid and I need to absolve myself of this fear by knowing that I'm prepared for whatever can come. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now the third aspect, that social aspect, um, I'm not much of a car guy, but I have friends who are car guys and, uh, Bugatti Veyron is one of the most expensive cars in existence. It is one of the only, um, internal combustion engines that can go, I think it can go over 300 miles an hour now. Yeah. Right. And there are, there are very, very few places where people can take that Bugatti Veyron over 300 miles an hour. Right. Right. One is Dubai. The other one is the salt flats. And I can't think of a third, um, you know, maybe some racetrack somewhere, but 
by and large, when somebody buys a Bugatti Veyron, they are not buying it for the functional aspect that this car can get them from point A to point B, nor are they buying it for the emotional aspect of this car makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. They're buying that car for the social aspect of being able to say, hey, look at how cool I am. I bought a six-figured <laughs> six sports car, high six right. figures. Like, this is more than you'll ever make in your entire existence. Okay. Right. So, you know, understanding those three different, I call them motivations that are all part of that customer's job become crucial as well. Uh, because, well, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I worked with a medical practice. They did high risk obstetrics. And one of the things that they did, their bread and butter was providing ultrasounds for these, these, um, these pregnant women who were coming in. Um, and when they first started out, they were just, you know, kind of advertising to the mother saying, Hey, come on in and get your ultrasounds here. Um, and they weren't growing like at all. So what they decided to do instead was they said, well, actually, I don't think we've just got one customer. I think we've got two customers. And I think that these two customers have different jobs because I think that there's the mother and she's got one job and then there's the referring physician and they've got another job. And if we understand what these jobs are, then we'll be able to structure our business accordingly um, to be able to grow. So what they did was, was they understood that the mom's job was she had um, you know, this, this life that she was taking care of. And she wanted to be sure that everything was okay with the pregnancy and, and to be able to, um, get some cute pictures in the ultrasound that she could share with friends. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas the referring provider, the referring physician, his, his or her job was, um, you know, I've got this patient. I don't want to have to give him bad news. I also don't want to expose myself to malpractice lawsuits. Um, and I just want to be able to send them over as an easy referral. Mm -hmm. So two different jobs. What they did was they said, okay, for the patient, what we're going to do is we're going to make our offices feel super homey, uh, almost like a spa, very relaxing, very dimmed light, very warm light, uh, soft blankets, soothing music, all of that. Um, we're also going to use a system where you're going to be able to text these pictures in link form. You can select 20 pictures, text them out to your family and friends. Um, on the referring physician side, um, we're not going to steal these patients away from you because that was another part of the job I forgot to mention. We're not going to steal these patients away from you. We will handle all the bad news and we will take the malpractice risk away from you huh? because- because our physicians are trained to read ultrasound, you were not. Mm -hmm. So we're we're going to take this risk off of you. So as a result, that business went from being in receivership to being an eight-figure business in five years. Receivership meaning they meaning bankruptcy. Okay, gotcha. And how many years? Five years. Just by making those two changes just by making those few changes. And that's the thing is when you understand these jobs, clients have jobs, they're going out, they're looking, they want this job to get solved in their life. They, they actually, like you have people who are saying, shut up and give me, uh, shut up and take my money. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know who those people are, how can you expect to communicate with them so that they can tell you, shut up and take my money?
Have you hit that subscribe button? If not, go ahead and hit that subscribe button for the Coach Up Podcast. We are new. I am excited about bringing to you every single week, probably more often, experts in every single field that will help you, one, if you're a coach, learn how to grow and scale your business to six and seven figures. And if you are not a coach, learn how to grow your life in the multitude of areas we're talking about. But the only way that you know what new information is coming out is you have to be subscribed so you get notified when a new episode drops. So go ahead, hit that subscribe button. Also, I'm working to get to a thousand subscribers in the very first 30 days of the podcast being dropped. So I need your help. Share this with somebody. Make sure you subscribe, share it with a friend, share it with a family member, share it with a couple of people, ask them to subscribe as well. And we are going to grow this podcast as you grow from these amazing coaches that are pouring into you. Let's get coached up. Zach, you're blowing my mind here because with what you're saying, it's, I I hear again in the circles that I I listen to like entrepreneurship, that type of thing. You hear like, know your avatar, know your client, but you're taking this to not like the next level. You're about 17 levels deeper on what, not only who your client is, but what, I like how you say job, what progress do they need to make? I think we often get stuck on what's their pain point or even pain points. Mm -hmm. But what is the actual progress that has to happen? And then how can we, based on what that person's need is, how do our services apply? How do we create operations and processes and systems that actually address what the progress they want to make, not what we think we're good at? Exactly. Exactly. I I couldn't have said it any better than myself. Well, um, and as you were... I want to, I want to, I want to add one thing though, because yeah. you talked about, you know, people say you need to niche, you need to have this target persona, you need to be very aware of who that persona is, and they're not wrong. But oftentimes, what we do is we do just good enough, just good enough, right? Mm-hmm. Where we're we're really looking for correlation um, when we do that just good enough buyer persona, where. So, so correlation, what I mean by that is that, um, when you, when, okay, (laughs) so statistics, right in statistics, there is something called correlation, which means that, um, as one thing happens, this other thing happens too. So, uh, an example might be, um, as it gets warmer and as the days get longer, ice cream sales go up, there is a correlation there. Another example is, um, as ice cream sales go up, murders go up. Okay. So there's correlation. (laughs) No, that's, that's totally real. Oh, okay. That's so unfortunate. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. But, 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 but listen here, right? Because here's what happens is people often misconstrue correlation for causation. So correlation is these two things happen at the same time. We don't know why but they happen at the same time. That's correlation. Causation is this thing happening makes this thing happen. Okay. I'm with you. So correlation is not causation. And you'll hear a lot of people, especially when they debate, they like to say, well, correlation isn't causation. Well, it's true. Um, so when we use that example of, you know, as ice cream sales go up, murders go up, well, they just happen to have the same things happening, right? Not causing the, the 
Right. Right. So oftentimes when we're looking at a target audience or when we're looking for a niche, we're looking for this correlation, but you know, I'm a, I'm a six foot two white guy. Who's a business consultant. I am like the picture for someone who should be subscribed to the wall street journal. But my, my being a six foot two white dude who's married with four kids has not caused me to buy the wall street journal today. <laughs> okay. So, so jobs, the thing that I love about jobs theory that was so mind blowing for me is that it's causal. Okay. This job, this progress is causing a purchase behavior. Hmm. Okay. So when you're saying I'm going 17 layers deep, you're yeah. right. Because I'm not looking at the surface level of correlation. I'm doing the hard work of saying, but what actually is causing you to want to buy? And then that is what I'm building my buyer persona off of. Mm, okay. And then that's where you start to build your operations from. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Back. I just want to be like, we're going to talk for another three hours, but I, you have four kids. So <laughs> that's not possible. Okay. So my last thought before I ask you my next question, yeah. um, in listening to you, this, I wrote this down and I said, what you're talking about allows coaches to provide a deeper, more effective, more transformative process for their clients in the area where the coach specializes. Similarly, because as you continue to ask, pull back those layers, understand the progress the client wants to make. I really like that terminology, like the job terminology from a client standpoint and the progress. I really like that. Um, then you are truly looking at all I don't know if I never say this word right. Facets? Faucets. Mm -hmm. Which one is it? Facets. Facets. Thank you. Facets of the of the client, right? In in the area where you can help, right? So like if I am not a mental health coach, but I am a business coach, I can't help you in your mental health. But in all things business, as I start to ask those, okay, what progress do you want to make? Because then once somebody makes progress, then there's additional progress that they want to make that still is in the area and the realm of which I have knowledge and specialization and can support. So it just, it almost opens up a deeper opportunity for both client and coach to be able to build a relationship and work through and toward what they are trying to solve for. Again, you still need the, you've got to put in the operations to do that, but you've got to first figure out what that is. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You, you nailed it because what's going on is that you as the, the operator, you're deeply understanding that progress that that customer wants to make so that you can help deliver on that. And think about the relationship that is built as a result of that, right? That's where returning and, uh, you know, truly loyal customers come from because, and, and, but then it also is, it allows you to be able to say from a position of power and strength, I don't think I can help you make progress. Mm. I, I think that you, you can go find somebody else who can help you make that progress that you want to make. You're, you're not looking in the right place yet. Um, but it also allows you to say to someone, I think that I've helped you make all the progress that you can make. Mm -hmm. Now think of the the layer of the level of relationship that that creates as well. That's some trust that has been built, 
or There's would be built. It's been built and you're showing your customer that it really is about helping you make progress that I really do care about you getting to the next level in your life. And if I can't be the one to deliver it, then, you know, let's find someone who can. And obviously then that gives you an opportunity to build up, you know, referring relationships with other people because you'll off what, what will often happen is you'll find people who come in who have similar jobs that aren't quite what you can solve. And so you can refer them off to someone who can and, and get some kind of a referral bonus from that. But right. Which makes sense. That, that's more of a tactical thing than a strategic. Where did you learn all of this, Zach? And how did you come to be where you are today? <laughs> Please. Please tell. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, I'm trying to think of where to begin. Um, I have a friend who says, Zach, you're an alien. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he means it in a, as a compliment, I'm sure. Oh, he does. He does. Okay. Um, basically... Um, I'm a very analytical, but also an intuitive person. Um, my wife and I have a game that we like to play called sounds legit, where she'll ask me a question and I will have to use deductive and inductive reasoning to try and find an answer. Um, and then she'll look it up <laughs> and we'll see how close I am to being right. Um, you doesn't know ahead of time? Nope. That's <laughs> part of the game. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and so that's just like, that's, that's part of who I am. Um, and it's always been a part of who I am. And so I really love to ask that question, why, and to go that five layers deep to really, truly understand causal behavior, um, you know, understanding root causes that really underlie, um, the problems that businesses are experiencing, the progress that customers are trying to make, um, you know, that really energizes and motivates me. Um, and it always has, even ever since I was a little kid, you know, um, my mom would, would be talking and I would just say, oh, that's like this. And she would just look at me and be like, where did you hear that? Like, how did you know that? So it's, mm -hmm. it's just kind of always been a part of my DNA. Um, now when I was, so I served a, a two-year LDS mission. Um, and LDS? I was, yeah, yeah. What is LDS? Oh, okay. Uh, I served a two-year mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, commonly known as Mormons. Oh, okay, um, cool. Okay. Yeah. So um, while I was there, I was um, introduced to some concepts of, of Clayton Christensen's, and he's kind of the father of, of jobs theory. Um, so when I got home from, from serving my mission, uh, I just dove headfirst into what he was writing because I found it so brilliant. Um, and it really connected with me on that, that root cause level. Mm -hmm. Um, and so once it connected with me, it stuck with me. And, um, over the course of my career, I kind of kept going back to school and, and getting these little tidbits of, of things like, uh, different operations management and project management systems. Um, and then finally, God just kind of opened the door and said, here you go. Here's how it all fits together. Yeah. And um, it, it was, I remember it was like this light bulb coming on kind of a moment. Um, and, and I got really excited. Like, 
like physically i sound so nerdy right now because i was so excited because i i was able to fully comprehend the level of impact that this can have not only on customers not only on clients but on the business owners and i truly believe kanisha that god put me on this earth to help these business owners make their mark in the world yeah absolutely god god is a god of kingdom kingdom is it's a government and it is a economic system. So yeah, makes yes. sense to me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, so that's, I guess that's, that's where I came from and, and that's how I'm able to do what I do. And I, I, uh, you know, it's just leveraging my superpowers and, you know, not everybody has these powers. I really love, um, in first Corinthians 12, uh, Paul talks about, um, the, I can't say to the foot, I'm better than you. Because if you didn't have a foot, how could you walk? Right. And the foot can't say to the eye, I'm better than you. Because if you didn't have the eyes, how could you see? Every every part of the body has an important part. And so, um, you know, I really believe that part of this is all about understanding what your individual superpowers are mm-hmm. so that you can use this the the strengths that God has given you to go out and make the world a better place. Absolutely. One thing that I say, I, I, I don't say that weird exists. Um, and I have a, um, I have an acquaintance who she makes, she pokes fun at it all the time because, um, and weird in when it comes to people, right? So if people say, oh, you're weird or that's abnormal. And I say that doesn't exist because God created every person unique and individual. So there's no norm of which to compare anybody to, right? And to your point, God gives everybody unique gifts and they are packaged uniquely for that person to be utilized in the world for his glory, whether we do it oh, or not. Oh, absolutely. That's a, but everybody is unique. So there's So to me, there is no weird because if we're saying weird is in conjunction to against the norm, there is no norm. Yeah, my God is a God of creativity and he doesn't make normal. He makes perfection and each person is perfect as they are created uniquely, perfectly yes. and wonderfully made. Well, I, I love that. And, you know, I, I think that the instant that people are able to do that and to own who they are, magic happens. You know, I, I have an aunt who is Down syndrome. And um, one of the things that's very common about people with Down syndrome is that um we've in the past, they haven't been able to live much past 40. Um, and now they're living into their sixties. And what we're finding is that there is a proclivity of these people with down syndrome to develop Alzheimer's and dementia. And one of the things that's so sweet about my aunt, um, is that we'll take her lunch on Saturdays and she gives the best dang hugs, man. She hugs you like she's never going to see you again. Like you're the mm. only person in the world. Man, those hugs are amazing. I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. Um, but, you know, everybody has a superpower and everyone, everyone, I mean, everyone can use that superpower to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. 110%. Yeah. And it's really cool the superpowers that you've been given before you came into the coaching and before you moved into your consulting business um, and your coaching business, what did you do before this? Like what was, uh, I, so 
I actually was a bit of an entrepreneur myself, failed a couple of times. Um, I also worked for startups, um, but I was kind of a Mr. Fix-It. So what I, because I was able to go in and find actually the root causes of these problems, um, you know, one company that I worked with, they needed a whole um, department, a whole new role built out. And so they, they said, Zach, we need you to come and build out this whole new role. And then they said, Zach, we need you to build out this revenue stream for us. And Zach, we need you to do this and that. So I was always kind of this Mr. Fix-It. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was always around this operations and it was always around what are these root causes? What is the progress that, that the customer is trying to make? Um, and it was, it was a really, like a really great kind of a training camp, like a boot camp for me. Um, because in startups, money is so tight. I know it doesn't seem that way from like, you know, all of the, the, the lifestyles that some of these people in startups live, <laughs> right. but, um, in startups, money can be really tight. And so, um, if you are not spot on one bad step will destroy your dream. Um, and so it really taught me how to get to the root very quickly to be able to understand what is it that we're actually creating and um, it helped me develop this gut to be able to say, I don't think that the problem that you're trying to solve is the progress that your customer is trying to make. And it, it taught me to be able to say, I don't think that you're able to communicate what that progress is to your team right now. I don't mm -hmm. think that you know what it is. So your team doesn't know what it is. And this is actually a really big problem for coaches too, coaches and consultants. Um, because what happens is, like I said earlier, they think that they know what that problem is. And when you ask them to communicate it, they communicate their offer stack. Um, and so the team is unable to bring their unique strengths to bear. They're unable to come out and say, you know, hey, you know, I'm an operations guy. And if this is where we're trying to take this, the, the operations of this company, and if this is the progress that we're trying to solve, then... Um, this is what we can do. And somebody else can say, Hey, I'm really great with people. I'm a customer service person. So, you know, maybe this is what we need to do here. Like you're, you're unable to really leverage the individual superpowers of your team because everybody, because no one knows where to dedicate their superpower to. But All when right. you understand that job, when you understand that progress, right. All of a sudden, everybody, it becomes very crystal clear where they need to focus, where they can dedicate their time, where they can add that value because they know this is where the value needs to be added. And so sometimes then it even gives opportunities for people to develop new talents that they didn't know that they had um, or to add value in a new skill set that they that they didn't uh, that they haven't been able to add before. but it's it's still it it doesn't matter you know, because they're still moving the ball down the field. They're still making that progress for both themselves and their customer. Um, you know, the paradox of business in general is just that when you help your customer get to where they want to go, you get there yourself. Right. And it, it's, it's a macro as well as a micro principle. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it happens for groups as much as it happens for individuals. And, um, you cannot help your customer get to where they want to go if you don't know where it is.
I don't know where they're, they're trying to go. You got me thinking over here about even my podcast. Um, and so wanting to go and dig a little deeper to say, do I know what the audience that I'm targeting, what progress they're trying to make? So there's some questions I now need to ask myself and then <laughs> audience. Okay, but I'm curious about one of okay. your, so how long have you had the current business that you have now? Because then I want to ask about one of your like short story, one of your, your startups that failed because we love to always okay. know, overcome those. But how long have you had this, the business you have now? So I've been doing consulting like this for about five years. Okay. All right. And now tell me one of the, one of the businesses you failed at, which obviously didn't stop your progress, which is the most important okay. thing for people to remember. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. So um, when I was in undergrad, I noticed that there was a big um, like surge in popularity for this pallet wood furniture. And so I got together with a group of people and we created this, these designs of pallet wood furniture. Um, and they looked pretty cool. Um, we, we made some, some changes and stuff, uh, but it did not go well. Um, and it was largely, um, it was largely my fault as the leader. I just didn't step into that leadership role, didn't organize the team appropriately. Um, and there were some, I, I, I'll put it this way. I did not know how to properly manage and handle conflict on my team between these members of the team. And so when it came right down to it, we were like, okay, we can invest our money into marketing or we can dissolve and everybody voted to dissolve. So that's mm -hmm. what we did. What did you learn from that? Um, well, one is if I'm being totally transparent, I learned Please. to actually be afraid of failure. Um, and okay. it, it was something, it was something that I had to work through over the course of, a, of a decade, you know, is that, that willingness to not be afraid of failure. Um, I, I, I can say that I am a recovering failure phobic, um, mm. with, with much gratitude. Um, I can say that, but the other thing that it taught me is to really, well, it, it taught me the importance of commitment to an idea. Mm. Um, because I often look back at that idea and I say, it wasn't a bad idea. Um, and if we had really committed to that idea and been willing to go all in on that idea, it probably would have done pretty decent. It, I mean, it, it, I don't think it would have been a billion dollar business by any stretch, but it probably would have, would have, um, done well enough to pay my way through school and more. Um, but, you know, because I was unwilling to commit myself, the rest of the team was unwilling to commit. So mm -hmm. it taught me the power of really being willing to commit to an idea and to really stick with that. So, you know, if you've got a kernel of an idea, right, don't be afraid to... um 
don't be afraid to have that conversation. Excuse me. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, mm -hmm. If, if you have that idea, that kernel of an idea, don't be afraid to have a conversation with a target audience to understand if that, that kernel of an idea should be nurtured That's and, right. and really commit to it once you figure that out. And when I commit, I don't mean, because a lot of times people get this idea of commitment that it's kind of like Steve Jobs, where it's like, no, I am right. Everyone else is wrong and you're doing it my way and we're never changing anything. Right. Um, you know, Steve Jobs died very young because of his attitude, I think. I mean, obviously he, he got very sick, but I think that part of that attitude ended up causing a lot of, of difficulty in his life later on. Um, but what I mean by that is saying, I have this kernel of an idea, which has this impact. I'm committed to having that impact. I'm not necessarily committed to the way that impact happens, mm. but, but the impact happening is what matters most. I'm not committed to how that impact happens, just that the impact ha does happen. Meaning um, one of the mentors, faraway mentors that I follow says, you, you don't get to do what you're passionate about all the time. You get to do what problem needs to be solved that you can solve. <laughs> like everybody's like, start the business you're passionate about. Well, if your passion doesn't solve a problem and it doesn't solve the problem that you have the skill set to solve, eh, that business may not last that long. So that's that well, is. And, and if that business, if that passion doesn't actually help somebody make progress, doesn't solve a problem in their life, then it's not going to go anywhere either. Point blank, period. Okay. You said the fact that you said you were recovering failure phobic. Oh my goodness, I could spend another 30 minutes on that. But unfortunately, <laughs> I want to honor your time. And so we're going to talk about, guys, we're going to talk about how you can work with Zach. Oh my goodness, cannot wait to get to that part. But before we get to that part, Zach, there are a few questions that I like to ask all of my coaches called the, I call it the before you go quick fire round of questions. Okay. All right. And so... It's seven. We may hit all of them or not, but are you ready, Zach? I'm ready. Okay. Zach, what is the one tool or app you would not do business without right now? Jobs theory. Okay. That being a tool. Yes. I guess okay. if you're looking for something more specific, it would actually be chat GPT, um, but I don't use it the way most people use it. So... <laughs> Now I want to ask how you use it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How do you use it? Like in 30 seconds, what are you doing? With okay. You? So very simply put, I do not look for chat GPT to replace a person on my team. Um, I look for chat GPT to be what I call a force multiplier. So I put in a certain amount of work um, and then I expect chat GPT to help me amplify the output of the work that I put in. So, you know, tactically what that looks like is if I'm writing a social media post, then I'm going to look at chat GPT to help me do some light editing, um, maybe help me figure out where I can tie things together better. 
Um, I'm looking at chat GPT to help me come up with, um, you know, like hashtags and things like that. Uh, if I have an idea, I use chat GPT to help me flesh out that idea further. Um, you know, I had a, an off the wall idea for recycling glass into the silicon that we need to make computer chips, because there's actually a shortage on that type of silicon. Okay. Um, and so I, I actually was able to have a back and forth with chat GPT about that, which was pretty interesting, but you know, um, chat GPT is for looking up questions that you either already know the answer to, but you forgot that you knew the answer to, or that you know enough about the subject that you can tell when it's right or wrong because chat mm. GPT is wrong. Um, it makes mistakes. So, okay. By the time this episode drops, I will have utilized chat, chat, BT, chat, chat. GPT. I have not yet. My best friend has been talking to me about it for weeks. Obviously, I'm hearing all the rage. Okay, so you're another cog in my wheel to say, go ahead and get into the race. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Okay. All right. Um, What tool do you use to collect payments from your- I use Stripe. Okay. Straightforward and simple. I know, I'm sure you have a virtual assistant or an assistant that you would recommend. Who would that be? So actually, I have been holding off on purchasing a virtual assistant what? because I've here. Well, check this out. This is really cool. I've been hearing rumblings that that um, some AI firm, and I'm not, I can't remember who it is, but some AI firm has basically um, developed an AI personal assistant um, that is capable of like making calls, scheduling appointments, sending out emails, managing your schedule. Um, like it's, it's the real deal. Like the, it's the wave of the future. So I've been, I've been saving my pennies for that. Okay. Fair enough. I can't wait to, I can't wait to keep up with that and we're going to stay in touch. So that happens <laughs> time. let me know. Okay. All yes. right. Um, most effective method for you in finding and securing new clients. Um, podcasts, guesting on podcasts, having great conversations with people like you. Okay. Um, good. You guys pay attention. Okay. What, um, what's the one thing Zach that you do that you attribute the most weight to in scaling your business? Um, for me, it all goes back to understanding the client progress. As soon as you understand that client progress, then everything else comes together. You can start innovating, uh, taking advantage of those sustaining innovations that are going to help your organization scale profitably. Perfect. Last question. What one book or podcast would you recommend as a must to consume? Mm. Oh, see, now that's tricky. You can because, give two. Okay. I can give two? You can give two. Okay. Well, given what we have talked about today, I would say that the first one is actually competing against luck which is a book by Clayton Christensen. Um, it was one of the last books that he actually wrote. Um, he passed away in 2020 um, from cancer, but that book is the introduction to jobs theory. So understanding jobs theory, he uses way better examples than I, than I have and just does a really great job of, of explaining jobs theory. The second book is this one right here. I don't know if you can see it. It's called Demand Side Sales 101 by Bob Mesta. 
so this is a framework for um, understanding the client progress. And then he uses it as a framework for introducing it into your, um, like into your sales and marketing. But it's a really great framework just for understanding um, what that job is that your client is hiring you to do, what that progress is, um, you know, and, and it's a really great leaping off point. Huh. Um, it's interesting. You say like leaping off point, like um, from that book, jobs theory introduction with the previous book. And I am going to ask you to just give like a quick introduction quick explanation of what job theory is. I can't believe I didn't ask you to do that previously this whole time, yeah. just so people understand. Um, but you're like the third person. So my mentor that I told you I talked to um, this week and then an interview I did earlier this week. Um, and now you all talk about reading multiple books for deeper understanding. Um, mm -hmm. And one of them talked about, one of the individuals I talked to talked about reading the same book three uh, two or three times so that you first can understand what it's get a basic understanding of what it's talking about and make sure you agree with it right like there are going to be stuff that challenges but it like yeah. if you're a christian and it's like so you should you should honor our snakes okay we're not going to read any more of that book right like <laughs> those things okay no i don't agree with this okay um but then you read it a second time and you read it out loud so that you can hear what you are actually reading um, because from a biblical standpoint, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so he said, read the book out loud. And then third, read it again for a deeper level. So it's a, interesting for you yeah. to say, like you were talking about read these as introductions because that then makes me know, okay, you're saying read these books, which is a whole book and I'm sure it explains it, but then there's deeper levels of learning that you can, you can glean by going deeper yeah. into, it, which is everything we've just talked about with the whole question of what is the progress that the client is actually trying to make. Um, yeah. So I just, I, I always appreciate the Lord when he continues to say, Kanisha, I'm trying to tell you something. Um, so get it. <laughs> you need to go deeper. Yes. Um, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Okay. So Zach, you have an offer for yes. my audience from what yeah, you do. So oh, and then we'll come back to jobs theory, but Yes. Tell us this offer that you have. Okay. Yeah. So this offer is um, basically I am working now. So I've pretty, pretty much my whole career, I've worked exclusively with these uh, seven figure businesses, scaling them to eight figures. Right now, I want to come downstream and work with these six figure businesses that want to scale to seven figure businesses. So right. what I've created is an introductory offer. I call it the Hermes plan. Um, now, my business is called Homeric Consulting, um, Homer meaning like the epic Greek poet. Um, so I know it's kind of cutesy, whatever, but my whole goal is to help help my clients become business legends. And so ah, that's cool. um, yeah, so Hermes was the ancient Greek god of speed. He was the messenger god and this Greek god of speed. And so the whole goal of this is it's quick implementation and it's quick wins to help you um, free up capacity and focus on your most profitable clients so that you can start to scale faster. Um, so normally this, this program is, um, this plan is three grand, um, listeners of your podcast, they can get it for $500 off if they, uh, go to the checkout and they use the code EPIC 23, EPIC in all caps, EPIC 23, um, they'll be able to get a $500 discount. Um, 
Yeah. Thank you. Oh my oh, goodness. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, you guys. That will be in the show notes. You also heard it here. The information will be available to you guys. Take advantage. Okay, Zach, when are you catching? Oh, I, I forgot to add one thing. Yeah. Um, so we are doing it. The space is limited. We are only yeah. allowed 20 slots. Okay. So act fast. Yeah, I was going to say, we, well, this is not going to be forever, you guys. 20 slots and it's gone. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for that. My pleasure. I, when people give, God always, he, he takes care of his generous, of those who are generous. So thank you for that. Okay. I'm going to honor your time. You guys go look up job theory. That'll give you a basic. I'll, 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 I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you very, very briefly. Okay. Jobs theory is basically your customer does not buy your product or service. They hire it to help them make progress in their life. If you can understand what that progress is, and and centralize your operations around that customer progress, you will win. I don't think there's a better way to end our conversation than that. Thank you so much for the time today. Oh my goodness. I have I have homework to do now. <laughs> but I appreciate it. I am going to say here now, I at some point I'm going to extend an invitation for you to come back and hope that you will have time in your schedule to do that because this conversation has been great. Did we did we get to the meaty part? Because we talked about yes. okay. We did. Okay. I, I think we sucked the marrow from those bones on that one. <laughs> But it was it's good. It was a good meal because there was oh, you have good. shared so much that just takes the thought process to another level on how to not only build a bigger business and a but a better business, a more quality business for your clients, which is what ultimately we all do in service. We are here to be of servants to others, whether it's in coaching space or product space or service. But this is for coaches and clients and consultants you have shown us how to do that. So thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. This was delightful. And I'd be glad to come back anytime. Putting it on the record. Thanks everyone. <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of the Coach Up Podcast. Remember, Zach has created an offer specifically for you, the audience of the Coach Up Podcast. So $500 off his normal $3,000 offer package to help you dive into your operations and figure out how to improve it, make it more effective, identify truly the customer progress that needs to be made so that you can maximize, you can make those adjustments and then maximize revenue. So take advantage of that offer, reach out to Zach, connect with him, follow him. And also remember to share this episode with a friend Make sure you like and subscribe. And thank you again for listening to another episode of the Coach Up Podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. Remember to check the show notes. That's where all the information is, where you can connect with Zach as well as you can connect with me.